This show is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, the Justice League of board game podcasts. Find out more at Dicetower.com. Of the Family Gamers Podcast. This is episode 302. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. We are the Family Gamers, as always. I'm Andrew, your host, and I am joined by my lovely and wonderful wife, Anitra. That's me. So, this week we have a wonderful topic that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about raising little gamers, aka how to make it so kids don't spoil all your fun in gaming. (laughs) (laughs) This is something that we've kind of talked about a lot. Uh, a lot over the course of basically every episode but we figured we'd actually dedicate an episode to talking about it but before we do that we have lots of other things that we have to talk about and one of them is our fact all right what is our 302 fact this is incredibly timely like i threw out my other potential fact when i found this okay thor love and thunder (laughs) is lighting up the box office the latest offering in the Marvel Cinematic Universe comes in with a solid $302 million at the global box office for its opening weekend, making okay. it the third highest weekend for any Hollywood film during the pandemic, and second this year only to Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, according to Deadline. Now, we okay. saw Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness we this did. past week. That movie is weird. Yes. And I, I mean, hope, but I expected it to be. I know, but I hope Love and Thunder is better. I mean... I can't hear the full name of the movie without chuckling. Thor, <laughs> Love and Thunder. I, I just, I can't. So, you know, it's got some promise. Well, something else that is probably better than a fantasy movie is a fact from our sponsor, First Move Financial. I don't know about better because how do you dig out of debt? The honest answer is slowly and painfully. There is no quick magic solution, and anyone who says otherwise is trying to sell you something. There are companies out there who offer to lower your payments and help you settle your debts. But beware, what most of these companies do is have you start making your reduced monthly payment to them, but they don't actually turn around and pay your debts right away. Instead, they wait. After a few months of your bills going unpaid, you get a call from a collections agent. You're supposed to tell them to talk to your settlement company. The two companies will then haggle over how much of your debt will be repaid, if any. And if you're working with a reputable company, they get the debt settled and written off so collectors don't keep coming around. From that point, which sometimes takes a year or two, you then have to deal with seven years of ruined credit, which makes this only slightly better than going through bankruptcy. Another better option, if you can manage it, is to use a credit counselor. All the things the debt settlement company did are things you can do. So the credit counselor walks you through those steps, like calling your creditors to negotiate a payoff plan with lower payments. These credit counselors often cost around $50 a month, but the process they walk you through to pay off your debts builds your credit throughout the process. So when you come out the other side, you have a good credit score. First Move Financial is not a credit counseling company, but they'd be happy to spend a few minutes talking to you to help you find a reputable credit counselor. Go to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers to set up a quick chat and start taking steps to dig out of debt. Thanks so much to the team at First Move Financial for sponsoring the show. So, Anitra. Yes. Now it is time for us to talk about what we've been playing. Yay! And uh, it's... 
It's not Very much. ups and downs for me. I, I think next week's going to be good, but this week was not so great. I did, however, show a friend Royal Visit. Royal Visit is so good. It's so good. So good. We played the game one time, and I won, and he said, this game's great. Can we play it again? He didn't ask to play it again. He didn't have time. He said, my wife just said, you need to come home and deal with your son. <laughs> yeah. Everybody here who has children knows what that means. Yeah. <laughs> So we did not play it again, but I have a feeling we will be playing more Royal Visit in the future. Been getting a little bit more Marvel Dice Throne. Yeah, it's uh, it's really fun. I am very bad at it. Yeah, and me too, actually. <laughs> it's, this is a great ego game for the children. Yeah, I'm definitely starting to see some patterns in how the different characters work. And I am still all for the very straightforward characters like Miles Morales and Captain Marvel. Just punch stuff a lot. Yeah, I mean, I understand that. And I, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I want to be more like Doctor Strange. Like, remember the tactician from yeah. season two? Doctor like, Strange makes me think very much of yeah, the tactician. Yeah, I like that from a meta aspect, but I'm terrible at the game. So. Uh, sorry? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we have been playing that as well. I did grab our youngest and sit down and play a game of Drop It. Hooray! I pasted him. Did he mind? No, I don't think so. Then it's no, all he, good. He's very confusing because sometimes he is everything you want a kid gamer to be, and other times he is nothing that you want a kid to be. Yeah. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. So so that was a little bit of Drop It. It's fun, cute little game. I mean, it's on our 10 by 10 for a reason. We have Blast yeah. Planet. Speaking of that child, he bought a copy of Monopoly with his own money. Yep, he sure did. <laughs> and I think he asked every single family member to play it with him until I said yes. He didn't ask me. Would you have said yes? I mean, probably not on a work day. Uh, yeah. I made him play the uh, official short version. We still went 90 minutes before he started going like, uh... I think I'm ready to be done. And after about two hours, we just called it quits. On the Although game. I have to admit, like, I am impressed that an eight-year-old made it 90 minutes in a game of Monopoly. It has been so long since I played a regular game of Monopoly. It did remind me a few things that I really liked about it when I was a kid. And those are aspects I still find likable now. However, I would still much rather play, like, 10 games of Monopoly deal in the same amount of time. I mean... I'm going to start with, I think Monopoly gets a bad rap, but it's a die rolling. I mean, there's no strategy in Monopoly, right? It's just, it's a roll and move game. The strategy is around the economics involved. I mean, I, yeah, I, I guess, but it's still... Bidding it's, on properties when somebody can't, can't buy them outright, um, making trades, you know, and where and when you're going to build houses. I, I mean, I guess, I guess there's some strategy there, you sure, but... At the end of the day, you still are heavily subject to the whims of the dice. Oh, yeah, and very much. That and the fact that the game is just long are the problems, I think. Yeah. So those two things together make it really tough because there's no way to mitigate bad luck in the game. Mm -hmm. And the game as designed, even the short version, takes hours. It just does. So that's why I like pointing out the different versions that have figured out ways to deal with various aspects of that. Monopoly Gamer is one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Monopoly Deal is another one where if the parts you love of Monopoly are like making the sets 
and cackling with delight as you force other people to pay you rent. <laughs> okay. You can do all of that in Monopoly Deal. Sure. You know, with having a much shorter game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't I don't disagree with you. I'm not trying to defend Monopoly. Yeah, no, I but I do think I'm that also agree with you. there is a weird kind of charm to it. There is. And yeah. that's what I was experiencing. It wasn't just a nostalgia. It was a Oh yeah, I remember why there are some fun parts to this game. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Next on the list, we released our review for The Adventure Zone Bureau of Balance last week, and we got another play of this in. Speaking of unlucky dice rolls. (laughs) There were some unlucky dice rolls. We did not do well, but all of our kids said they would play it again. Yeah. Like, all of them. Yeah. And, I mean, we definitely embraced the silliness, which I think this game is kind of designed, like, you don't have to, like, you can play this game straight, but I just think the spirit of the game is one where you're kind of supposed to be ridiculous. I mean, if you're going to buy the Slippies of Haste from Garfield the Deals Warlock with a straight face, like, I don't know what to tell you, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, um, you know, we were very silly about it. I played as, let's see, the first time I played, I was... Max, the half-orc bodybuilder wizard. This time around, I was um, I was a bard. I forgot my name, but I also wanted to be a botanist. Yeah, and, and you had a t-shirt that said bones and tulips. Bows and tulips. Bows and tulips, excuse yes. me. I don't remember what my name was. This is really, I feel bad that I don't remember my own name. But I mean, but that, you know, it, it, it's silly. It's silly. I yeah. definitely recommend people go to the Family Gamers website and read that review because the Adventure Zone as an intellectual property is not kid-friendly, right? It's not. No, no, it's you not. do not want to listen to that podcast no, with your kids. Don't do that. But this game is honestly one of the best RPGs that I have played with my kids. Yeah, it is kid-friendly and it is silly and it balances it just right. Some of the other more kid-focused RPGs we've done, our kids look at it and they're like, no, this is too silly. Like, this is too juvenile. And not that they're <laughs> going to use those words, but just like, there doesn't seem to be a point I mean, to what you're doing. this is pretty juvenile. This is juvenile in that someone is making a decision to make it funny sure, and yeah, silly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Rather than making a decision to try to make it, quote-unquote, easy. Yeah. Right. I, I completely agree. And I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, what happened to us is really, you know, what can happen in the game where you just have some bad die rolls and your party health falls down and, you know, you're done. Yeah. But um, they really liked it. I thought they would like it. I didn't think they would be like, especially after getting crushed like six cards in, they'd be like, yep, I'm playing this again. I think our daughter's reaction is instructive here. She is not a huge game player and she's gotten to the point where she's like, oh, another RPG. Do I have to? I don't like role playing. I don't want to do a storytelling game. But she very quickly got into character in a subdued kind of way, but it worked for her. She deliberately played an aloof character, which was perfect. Who sometimes had trouble finishing sentences. Oh, like you when you're podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> But at the end of that, she said, I did not like this game, but I do like the game in general and I would be happy to play again. Yes. So I was like, victory. Yes. Freaking victory. It was great. Yep. So I really, really recommend it. It was, I think, 40 bucks for a copy of the game on the Amazons. So go check it out. It is Adventure Zone, the Adventure Zone Bureau of Balance. And we played it five players. Everybody was playing. Everybody got to play. We've been traveling a bit, and so 
outcome the small games. I finally pulled out the expansion pack, like multi-expansion pack that we got from Button Chai for Tussie Mussy. And I played a game with Claire with all the expansions. <laughs> oh my gosh, how long did it take? It's still the same length okay, game. Okay, it just mixes up the cards. That are it mixes up the stuff. Sure. So it adds orange flowers, which are like the other flowers. Each one has its own thing. It adds greenery. All the greenery has the same power. And if you have more than one, it ends up scoring you negative points. Yikes. Yeah. And then there's this ribbons expansion. The ribbons, you pull out some number of ribbons, depending on the number of players, at the beginning of the game. And so that gives you like a extra scoring goal for the whole game. So all those things were interesting. And they definitely shook up the game a little bit, made it feel a little different. It's a very useful thing for that kind of micro game if you've played it over and over and over again. It just helps it feel a little fresher. Sure, sure. Yeah, just a little bit more variety. I like yeah. It. And along with that, I also threw Unsurmountable from Button Shy into my purse. Okay. And taught myself how to play while watching our daughter bowl and then played it again a day or two later. Unsurmountable is a mountain climbing game. Uh, it's solo game only from Scott Alms. Okay. Once I figured it out, I like it. You're basically building the mountain. Like that's your climb is you're building the mountain and you're trying to build the mountain in such a way that you have a path that stretches from the bottom edge of the mountain somewhere because it's a pyramid of cards to the top card somehow. There's all kinds of special powers on all the different cards. I mean, the kinds of things you'd expect from an 18 card game. I'm not sure yet where it falls in my solo games ranking, but I think it's in the top half. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. I'm going to need to play it a bunch more to really decide how much I like it. And I've got one more. We played some more Catacombs of Karak. Yes. This was also a request from our youngest, and it suffers from some of the same issues as Monopoly, which is to say this game would be great if it didn't take an hour to an hour and a half. And I don't really know why it takes so long. Huh, that's interesting. I don't remember it being a game that dragged. Well, so the thing about Karak is that you're doing this dungeon crawl and it's all completely randomized, but you need to defeat the dragon to end the game. And you need to have somebody with a bunch of bonuses to defeat the dragon. So in our case, there were three of us playing. Somebody got the best weapons and they were just rolling really poorly against the dragon every time. Okay. And nobody else had enough equipment to go after the dragon with any real chance of success. It's like, well, I can go after the dragon and I will win only if I roll a 12. Yeah, that's not good. Which is not great. And so that's part of why our game took so long. We spent out all the like one-time use extra attacks and stuff before we ever found the dragon. Yeah, that's unfortunate because then you can't use them. Because then the you dragon. can't use them to fight the dragon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I appreciate what Carrick does. I'm pretty much all set with playing it. Do you like, think our family is growing out of that game? No, I think our youngest still enjoys it quite a bit. So, well, I mean, I wonder if with games like Quest Kids. And then Chronicles of Avel, which should be coming next week. I wonder if... It is possible that we will move on from Carrick. Past it. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I will say in general, I think Carrick would be a good next step up from the Quest Kids for most families. It's got a little bit more math and a little bit more complex ideas. Yeah, I think so too. 
uh, it's a good like kind of sideways step. Yeah. You know, but it also has the campaign extras, which might make it a little bit more complicated. So I'm not really sure. Fair enough. All right. Well, I think that is pretty much it. Why don't we take a quick break? We're going to hear a snap review. And when we come back, we're going to talk about engaging your littlest gamers. Yay. We'll be right back. in his 60s is lying lifelessly on the floor of his living room. He has no visible injuries, but there is a broken wine glass and an old photo next to him. His cell phone is ringing. Can you undo his tragic death? This is a snap review for Undo Cherry Blossom Festival. The Undo series is by Michael Palm and Lucas Zack. Two to six players can solve this mystery in anywhere from 45 to 90 minutes. Best for ages 10 plus, since strong reading skills are required, and the theme is about death. Pegasus Spiel publishes the Undo series. We've reviewed Undo Forbidden Knowledge a few weeks ago, and you can find the link for that one below. So, Anitra, let's talk about the art in Cherry Blossom Festival. There are four types of cards primarily used in this game. Each one has a slightly different theme, although they all tie together stylistically. There are the instructional cards, which are mostly white with a neat little border decoration. Then there are the story cards. These are the meat of the game, with lanterns and Japanese decorations on the backside that tell you a time and a place, and a pagoda cherry blossom theme on the front side surrounding the text. Read these carefully. This theming carries over exactly to the clue cards, which represent objects that you might investigate more closely. There are also time and magnifier cards. The magnifier cards continue the Japanese theme with gold flowers and a tatami mat background. The time cards look more similar to our last category, fate cards. The fate cards and the time cards both have a star-filled galaxy theme. This appears to be the same across all the Undo games. So, Andrew... Let's talk about the mechanics and how to play Undo. Sure. So, every Undo game starts with a character dying. It's a little morbid, but... It is what it is. (laughs) You will be choosing several points in this character's history to investigate. Your goal is to figure out how they got to this point. What happened? Can you make subtle changes to stop this death from happening? The game cards themselves will explain how to play. From the moment you open the box, you'll start being pulled into this mysterious death. Lay out all the story cards and a clue that goes with each one. The instructions direct you to the specific card that describes this man's death. You'll want to talk it over and decide where you want to travel first. Drop a time card back into the box and have the next player flip the chosen story card and start reading. Discuss your options and pick one of the three choices presented on the bottom of the card, A, B, or C. Then find the fate card for that exact answer. The fate card will assign a numerical score to your choice and show if you made things better or worse or about the same. Then it's on to the next player to decide which story card comes next. At any time, you can also spend one of your four magnifier cards to read a clue. Once you've spent your last time card and made your final choice of fate, you are done. Add up the results of all of your fate cards and compare it to the solution. Did you change history enough? If not, you can put the game aside and try again for a better score another day. But if you're like our family and you're impatient, you can also just read the story of what actually happened, whether or not you won the game. 
When I first heard of the Undo series, I expected something like the escape room boxes we've tried in the past. Searching for clues, solving a mystery. That's kind of what this is, but not exactly. Even after we played through Undo Forbidden Knowledge, I expected the mechanics of this game to be the same, but I wasn't sure how it would feel with a different theme. I was hoping the theme on this one would be less creepy, though. It was less creepy. It was a lot less creepy. So, Andrew, what surprised us about Undo in general and the Cherry Blossom Festival specifically? Well, Undo is not really an escape room. You're working together to solve a mystery and make changes, but it's more like collaborative storytelling with a time limit. It's like Quantum Leap, basically. (laughs) Although there are 13 story cards, you only get to travel nine times, so there will always be some story left untold. You don't really have enough information to make a good decision, but you can make choices with the information that you have. There were two things that kept our kids more engaged with this than a typical escape room. Every player gets a turn to be the final decision maker, choosing where to go and what fate to change. Our kids loved this chance to have the final say. The second thing is that it's not a puzzle game. (laughs) We talk about the problem, we agree on an answer, and we move on. We never lost kids to boredom while we were stuck on a problem because the story is foremost in these games. This isn't a thing where dad's working on one puzzle on one side of the table and mom's working on another puzzle and the eight-year-old is left picking his notes or something. That doesn't happen in these undo games. This particular undo game was more sad than it was scary or creepy, which was also a surprise. But we liked that over the forbidden knowledge undo box. So, Nature, do we recommend Undo Cherry Blossom Festival? Well, it's not a great fit for very young children, and the sad story may be too much for sensitive kids. But our family loved it. We'd recommend it for families with older kids and teenagers. Even if they don't like traditional board games, they may enjoy solving this mystery together as a family and piecing together the story of what actually happened. So, Andrew, what are we going to rate Undo Cherry Blossom Festival? Well, I think we're going to rate this one four and a half cherry blossoms out of five. And that's Undo Cherry Blossom Festival in in a a snap. snap. And we're back. So we're talking this week about how to raise little gamers. Mm -hmm. This is a topic that has come up many times. Many, many times. And we've definitely talked about some of these things, but we wanted to dedicate some time specifically to talking about how to engage your littlest gamer. If you are a new parent or a relatively new parent and you already love gaming, you're probably looking at this be like, I have made this little person. <laughs> I would love to get them to play games with me. How do I move from, you know, baby or toddler to the kind of environment that we have here now at the Family Evers headquarters. So the first thing on this list is actually something that almost is a little bit counterintuitive, I think, in some ways. I think every one of us has seen Facebook reels or Instagram reels of little kids that are complaining about something and they use like very adult words like, (laughs) I cannot believe that the dog was barking. He was being ridiculous. And it's just very silly to see like a little kid saying these kinds of things that, you know, you would expect like a a mom or a parent to say. And what's happening there is kids are seeing a behavior and they are emulating that behavior. And so when we have little kids, when we have a hobby that involves delicate things, one of our first reactions is to stop doing that thing because we're afraid that whatever those pieces are or those parts or whatever, our kids are going to destroy them. Yes. 
And so it's a little bit counterintuitive, but one of the best things that you can do to start getting your kids engaged in the gaming process is actually to expose them to games. Yeah. So we're talking about especially really little kids, letting them sit on your lap, see your games, give them a piece to play with that it's going to be okay if they maybe stick in their mouth. Right. Yeah. You got to remember that children, little children will eat literally everything. Not necessarily eat, but they like feel everything with their mouths. Yeah, they will try to eat literally they will, everything. They will <laughs> drool on they will and it. jam hands it up. Yeah. So, so be mindful of that. And in fact, it's okay if you have a kid's game with big pieces that you take pieces from and give those pieces to your child while you're playing yeah. something else. It's probably best if you don't expect them to sit up there with you and play with it the entire time you're playing, I don't know, Power Grid or something for two hours. But especially with a an older toddler, you know, letting them kind of climb up, sit with you, play for a few minutes, maybe a show them like, hey, this is what daddy's doing or what mommy's doing. Can you point? Should I go here or should I go here? And get them just a little bit involved that way to see that you having fun is something that they can do with you, even in that small way. One of the best ways to get your kids excited about doing something is by being excited about doing something. Yes. Yes. And then when you really get to actually picking up some of those kids' games, really what you need to do, and this shouldn't be a surprise, is to start small. So we're talking about games here that are really, really, really simple with really big pieces Stuff that is going to play in 10 minutes or less. Things that to our adult brains maybe don't even really feel like a game yet. So a lot of the Habba, my very first games, are awesome for this. Off to Bed, Rhino Hero Jr., Animal Upon Animal Jr., but also things like Go Away Monster, which was our family's favorite when Mm -hmm. they were little. Don't break the ice. Yes, I know. It's a mass market game. <laughs> Honestly, children love hitting things with hammers and being told that it's going to be okay for them to hit things with hammers. A game like that will start as a toy and move eventually to being a game. And that's okay, too. The familiarity that kids have with those pieces is something that will play very well into their ability to put those pieces together and form a cohesive actual gaming experience. Yeah. So starting small also means starting with really granular skills. So practice taking turns. Even if you're not playing the game, it's, oh, well, you get to hit the ice cube with a hammer and then I get to hit the ice cube with a hammer. Taking turns back and forth. And you just touched on something really important. Every single piece or part of the game playing process is something that children have to learn. All of these things are skills. Yes. Literally every piece of it. (laughs) When you think back to the things I learned in kindergarten, a lot of those things you learned in kindergarten are things that you need to know to play a board game. And so if your kids aren't in kindergarten yet, guess what? They're going to learn these things as you work through them with a board game. Taking turns, going back and forth, you know, identifying a purpose and then actually continually working on that purpose multiple turns in a row, these kinds of things. Yeah, talking about things that are bigger and smaller. We absolutely loved, we had some big chunky foam dice. We still have them. We still have them. And even now I enjoy if we have friends with toddlers or preschoolers come over and be like, hey, roll the big chunky dice and then count the spots with me and let's find out what number you rolled. Mm -hmm. That's not really a game, 
but to a two or three or four year old, it feels like it's a game like, oh, you roll a four. That's awesome. That's as far as the game goes. Yeah, pretty much. And that's okay. <laughs> yeah. And Think Fun actually really kind of capitalized on this very simple, oversized plush die rolling thing with the Think Fun roll and play. Yeah. That's a really cool plush die. And it has slots in each side where you can basically stick a card that has an activity on it. So you roll the die and then you do the thing. Mm-hmm. You have a dance party. You sing a song. You, you know, do a headstand. I don't know. Right. Yeah, and that actually, the next step after something like that is something like Silly Street, which is a game that we've talked about a lot, where in order to move on the board, you have to do some kind of an action. Yep. That's another great example of something that adds these parts together. In that game, there's a little bit of reading, which, you know, if you have a parent with you, that's fine. But it encourages getting up and being silly, and it's not, you know, rote looking at a cardboard board with some tokens and whatever. There's Mm -hmm. actual stuff going on, which makes it great for children. Speaking of which, not every kid is going to like the same kind of game. And I mean, we know that. We know that, right? But that's true even down to your toddler age range. Some kids want nothing more than to move a token along a track. And that is why Candyland is so attractive. But... Moving along a track is a different kind of a game than a matching and memory game. Some kids absolutely love matching and memory. We had one of those. Yes. He uh, still destroys us at memory games. Yes, he does. And everyone else in the family, too. But it feels like a very different kind of game because it is a very different kind of game. And it uses a different kind of skill. Different part of the brain. Yeah. Some kids are going to be all about your dexterity stacking games. You will see one of those kids in our video reviews for Rhino Hero Jr. and Animal Upon Animal (laughs) Jr. He likes the stacking and he likes the knocking down even more. He likes the unstacking. He also likes the stacking, mostly because it means he can knock it down again. (laughs) But Animal Upon Animal Jr., Rhino Hero Jr. are great for that. So is Jenga. All of these things work well together. And then there are games like we talked about with Adventure Zone. Obviously, you're not going to do that with a super little kid, but some kids are super into the storytelling aspect. And then you want to do story cubes or, again, a game like Silly Street or Animal Act, which is from the same folks who do Mm -hmm. Silly Street. Mm -hmm. Storytelling is a major portion of that, being able to act things out, being able to say, oh, there's a lion here with an ice cream cone. Where is he going? Where did he get it? Yeah, all of our kids have very different personalities. I mean, it's amazing. Like, we have this conversation all the time. (laughs) We have three kids. All three of them are very different from each other. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure all three of them have the same parents. So I don't know what's going on there, but it's true. You know, we have a kid who loves to play games, especially if they're easy for him. We have a kid who loves games, especially when they're complicated. And we have a kid who will play games if we ask her to. And has a few games that she absolutely loves. Just a couple. Just a couple. So, yeah, you definitely have to feel that out, especially with your littlest ones. And that kind of leads to the last major point we had Feeling out also means don't push too hard. You want to be excited to play games, but games are supposed to be fun. If every time you try to play games with your kid, they're not having fun, you need to pull back and figure out why that is. With little kids, it may be that they don't have the skills needed yet, or it could be a lack of confidence. Or it could be you're trying the wrong kind of game. Yeah. It could be that they say they're having fun, but they're a sore loser and you're not having anything (laughs) remotely resembling fun anymore with them. 
And then you need to tackle games are not fun for everyone if you act like this every time. Yeah. So we've talked before about being a sore loser and how to work through that. But that's a whole other set of problems to deal with. Well, it's important to remember that gaming is a safe place to fail. Yes. Right? Failure is always hard. I don't know anybody who likes to fail. I mean, you kind of have like the growth people that are like, oh, I love failure. Failure is great because that's where you learn. I mean, like, okay. But the process of failing still stinks. It's still not an enjoyable <laughs> thing. You can realize it's important and not like it. Right. And, and that, I mean, that's the perspective shift that you have to kind of give to your children, that you have to work yeah. with your children. But, you know, think about the reasons why your kids might be so unhappy. It could be that they lost. It could be that they don't like the game. It could be that the selection of the game, either that night or in the store, was something that they weren't a part of. And so they feel like they're being forced into doing someone else's thing. And so that might mean, oh, let's go to the store and buy a game. It can even mean... And this is something we've seen in our family, that there is a family member who they feel like always wins or isn't fun to play with. And it may involve splitting apart and removing that family member, often an older sibling or a younger sibling, and say, you know what, we're going to play what you want to play and do it the way you want to do it and not worry about this other person for right now. Right. Well, I mean, that kind of gets back to what I said before about kids not feeling like they're part of the decision-making process. Sometimes... I know this is shocking, but sometimes older siblings will pressure younger siblings into doing something that they don't really want to do. What? I know. I know. Our and children would never. <laughs> it's just something to be cognizant of because I can see myself like I'm trying to wrap up at work. I'm like, okay, we'll play a game. Pick something and we'll play it. And mm -hmm. I don't care what it is. Mm -hmm. So like in my head, the kids have picked the game. I go upstairs to play the game. And what has actually happened is the older one has bullied the two younger ones into playing the game that they want to play. And now nobody's happy. And I don't know what's going on. I'm just trying to play with my kids. Rah! Yeah. So a lot of those interpersonal dynamics really come into play, even with something as simple as picking a game. Yeah. And something that honestly took us quite a while to learn is that playing a game as a family doesn't have to mean everybody in the family plays every game. Oh, oh. That's a really important thing. And it's a really hard thing. Yeah. Yeah. And because it's, you don't want to relegate one kid to screen time, right? Like, that's oh, the big no. Thing. Yeah. So you kind of want them to be involved, but you don't really think they're going to want to play the game. And then you're afraid that like halfway through, they're going to decide that they do want to play the game. And so a lot of that stuff's kind of got to get worked through. And really, the only way to work through it is to just do it. Right. And again, since the whole idea here was about engaging your littlest gamer, you know, maybe you've already got some older kids who like games and now you're being like, wait, how did I do this before? There weren't any older kids around before, so I could devote more attention to the mm -hmm. little guy. So sometimes that's going to be, you know what, taking turns in a more macro sense of like, no, I'm going to play Animal Upon Animal Jr. with the two-year-old and then the rest of us can go and play this other game. You all need to wait your turn for a change. You also could, I know it's not recommended, split the party. What? <laughs> yes, you can do that too. Well, these are just some tips that we had that we were really thinking about when talking about engaging with your littlest gamer. Before you know it, your kids will be beating you at your favorite game. I mean, it happens for us now. Um, <laughs> it does actually happen for us. 
but you will be loving it because you're sharing your hobby with your kids and growing your circle of gamers in the process. That is one of the great things about growing your own gamers. Especially during COVID. Oh, man. Yeah. (laughs) No kidding. And I will say, I wouldn't play nearly as many games. You look enviously sometimes and be like, oh, man, you get to play so many games. But the reason I get to play more games on a weekly basis is because I have kids who like playing games and I'm around. It's great. I'm glad for that. I'm glad for that because it does mean that when I am available, we can play games. Yeah. If you want to know more, if this was not enough for you, I mean, half of our site is devoted to playing (laughs) games with young children, learning skills, all the rest. So you can definitely check out pretty much anything on thefamilygamers.com. There's a whole category tag for young children, and I would recommend starting there. But there is also an article from a couple of years ago from the Tabletop Bellhop about raising the next generation of gamers that I referenced a little bit in putting together our list of things we wanted to talk about. And I will link to that in the show notes. All right. Sounds good. So as we've already mentioned, you can find out more in general on thefamilygamers.com. But you can also ask us questions on social media. That's right. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Family Gamers AA. You should head over to our Facebook community. It's one of the places where we do the most interaction these days. Just go to Facebook, search for the Family Gamers community, or you can just go to thefamilygamers.com forward slash community. Join the community. Over 550 people in there talking about playing games as kids, getting recommendations, giving recommendations, all sorts of great stuff. Yeah, that is an awesome place to go to find out more and be like, I've never heard of this game. Can anybody tell me about it? Or what's your favorite game to play with a five-year-old? We can't always answer those questions, but there are enough people in the community who can. Absolutely. Don't forget, you can also check out our Snap Review videos on YouTube. Just go to youtube.com slash thefamilygamers. I highly recommend the Rhino Hero Jr. review from a year (laughs) or so ago. I find it funny. Well, and the recent Animal Upon Animal Jr. Yes. That too. You can always email us, Andrew at thefamilygamers.com. Anitra at thefamilygamers.com. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show, tell your friends about the show, and leave us a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget, you can also, for the month of July, have a discount on any Family Gamers or Play Games With Your Kids merchandise That's on our merch right. store. Enter the code EPISODE300 and get 30% off Three zero. any merch purchase. That's at thefamilygamers.com slash merch. If you want to send Andrew more weird foods for science, <laughs> you can do that. Just mail it to The Family Gamers, P.O. Box 528, Auburn, Massachusetts, 01501. And I will eat it on the show. And I might eat it on the show. <laughs> the Family Gamers is sponsored by First Move Financial. Head over to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers to learn how the team at First Move Financial can help you pile up the victory points. I think that's going to be it for us this week. You got it. I kind of miss having little, little gamers around. I'm okay with importing little gamers for an afternoon and then sending them home. Me too. All right. Well, until next week, everybody. Play Play games games with your kids. kids.